Alright, welcome back to Duke Basketball Junkies. Uh, two weeks later, four wins uh, ripped off since the last time we podcasted after the pick game. How you feeling, my friend Peter? How you doing? This is my co-host, Peter. I feel like, first of all, this is the best we've been at this point, at this stage in the season in the last three years. Correct? Oh, yeah. 2016 sure. team with uh, Jason Tatum, Harry Giles, Marquise Bolden. Struggled mightily in conference play. We thought they were going to be ridiculously good, but yeah, they sort of struggled. I mean, it took a literally a perfect performance from Luke Kennard to beat Wake Forest to sort of save our season. We finished 11-7 and in the in conference. Then last year, Marvin Bagley, Gary Trent, um, Grayson Allen Sr., all these great guys. We also thought we'd be so good, and we were very good. But at this stage in the in the year, we sort of struggled. You know, we hit that spot where like BC and St. John's, both who we played recently, like Shamori Pons, Kai Bowman, they lit us up. Yeah. And we were like a little bit down on the team at this stage in the team at at this stage in the year. But this year, I feel like, I mean, I feel like we've exceeded expectations to this point. We're twenty and two, eight and one in conference. Yeah. Uh, the losses were not bad losses, really. One was a bad loss. Well, Gonzaga and the third game yeah. of a three. A game lot of a lot of quality it. wins, but that was a bad loss. Uh, Gonzaga? No no, 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 no. We've had a lot of quality wins, like probably more than anyone. But the yeah. loss at home to Syracuse—that's a pretty bad loss. Yeah, I still contend that Syracuse sort of played out of their mind, and we lost. Uh, who did we lose? Trey Jones in that game? No, no. Yeah, we, yeah, lo- yeah. we lost no, Trey no, Jones. No, uh, Cam Reddish. We lost Maybe Cam both. in that game? Maybe both. Cam, Cam illness game. Cam illness, Trey was out. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, it's been so long. But, but um, okay. But yeah, you're right. But, but the to, team is looking yes, yes, to, the to best your, we felt about it. To your team, question, sure. I yeah. feel like the team's great. It's great in all facets of the game except for that one fundamental skill of shooting the ball I'm actually excited to see how we do down the stretch there are 10 games left five of the 10 games are tough tough games on the road we're going to see exactly how good we are when we play Louisville Syracuse Virginia UNC Virginia Tech on the road because as good as we are as as good as 20 and 2 is as good as 8 and 1 is I feel like our poorer shooting is going to hurt us against these quality quality teams on the road. It certainly could if we if we continue to have games where we shoot ten percent, fifteen percent from three, and we chuck up a lot of threes, which, which, it's, it's ha- which hard, happens a lot. It's hard to overcome. Yeah, uh, we're not turning the ball over at a particularly high rate. Every um, other facet of the basketball, we're really yeah. Good at. So even in these these games where you know against Georgia Tech and against St. John's and against BC to some extent, where we shot poorly, at least against these sort of medium-grade opponents, we, we, we still can can run it up a bit. Okay. Um, so I guess the big issues that we're probably identifying is the way they're coming out in the first half, Yeah. yeah. Uh, the shooting performances, some struggles from like Jack White, because he was steady yeah. early in the season. It's a little... He's taken a couple steps back. Yeah, I'm not. I'm um, not too concerned with and him the free throw shoot because he only shoots like one, two, yeah. or three shots a game recently. But I do have a trivia question for you. Okay, which we'll probably miss. 
What was the last game Jack White made a three-point shot? Oh, uh, no, it's been a while. Has it been in the 2018? Or two, was it 2018? I'll, I'll help you out. It, has, it was 2019. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say it was... You, uh, he probably hit one against UVA. Maybe maybe one against Syracuse. Was it before that? Yes, it was before that. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, he's really been cold. I mean... It was Florida State. That's wow. how far back we have to go yeah. to see a Jack White. The guy was three. doing nothing but knocking is, down yeah, threes. I feel early bad in the for year. him. I feel bad for him because now it's mental. It's like snowballing. Well, like he's passing up on open threes. He's he's, he's, he's not sh- taking that many. It's because he's not confident because he's passing up on some open threes, like a few. Well, he's not also, a ton. He's also not in the game that much. Yeah, so his minutes have dropped. They actually he's, plummeted. He's, they plummeted. Like, just, he went from playing thirty-five yeah. minutes a game for yeah. some of that stretch to playing like. Yeah. Under 10 in a lot of these games. Okay. And he's only attempted five shots in the last four games. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. So in addition to the poor shooting, one of the like Achilles heels I see in this team is we get literally zero bench production. Lately. Uh, well, lately is like the last five or six games. Yeah, the bench isn't playing much. Yeah. So The, the rotation's okay. tightened up. Alex O'Connell's not playing that much. So let me ask you this question. If you can remember, it's been a while, but let's rewind to the Georgia Tech game. It was four games ago. Mm-hmm. Do you remember watching the game and thinking something and then like being surprised with two minutes left in the first half? Uh, tell me what you mean, Peter. Okay. This is what happened in the game. The first big man off the bench, who's almost always either Marquise or Javin, depending on who's starting, was Antonio Brankovic, right? And yeah, it, that was it, very surprising. Yeah, that in it, in and of itself was surprising, right? But then, Maybe it was his birthday. But then he played a stretch, right? Then he sat yeah. back down, and then he checked back into the game. So when he checked back into the game the second time, I was like, oh, Javin must be injured, or he must be sick, or he must have the flu, or whatever, right? Javin checked into the first half with two minutes left, which, you know how Coach K has, like, messages midseason? You know, he sat Elton Brand halfway through his sophomore year and said, you know, Elton, why don't you go do some more uh, Sports Sports Illustrated interviews because you're not playing like like we expect you to play. I mean, that had to have been a direct message at Javin that Coach K is very unhappy with him. It's hard to read into it too much because Coach K is sort of like giveth and and taketh away from, from players seemingly at random by virtue of his short rotation and heavy reliance on heavy minutes from, from his stars. And it, that's been consistent over the years. So I hear you, and I, yeah. it may mid, it may mid, be mid, that he was sending yeah. Javin a lot of mid-season mid, things like Coach K's setting, sending signals. Like maybe Jav, I'm not happy with you. Maybe or maybe he just doesn't get around. Like Grayson Allen, his freshman year didn't play very much, and his sometimes he played a little more, and then he he like barely got in the game for stretches of the ACC season, yeah. and then in the tournament and the ACC tournament he played very meaningful minutes. And it's like, oh, you know, one way of looking at it was Coach K, such a genius. He, like, brought him along through the season and then, like, unleashed him uh, as, like, some sort of secret weapon. But really, it was like, why didn't that guy play all year? Yeah, um, really, he had a gold mine on his bench who he <laughs> didn't use enough. I mean, if you watch Grayson Allen's freshman year game against, I think, Wake Forest, where he lit him up for 30 points, beautiful outside stroke, beautiful penetration, you would ask yourself, why doesn't this guy play 10, 15, 20 minutes a game? Drawing fouls at will. There's an argument to be made that Grayson Allen was a better offensive player as a freshman 
than he was as a senior in terms of like just no, the no. way he played because he wasn't the first, second, third option and he was unexpected. When he was the primary yeah. option. Yeah, the other team had probably had teams zero, ready zero for scouting him. report for him his freshman year. Absolutely. They're probably like, oh, who's this guy? We don't know who this guy is. So now instead of Grayson Allen forcing shots, we have R.J. Barrett forcing shots, but he's a much higher percentage two-point shooter in traffic than Grayson Grayson was. And um, he's still he's still forcing it. Um, he's still missing sh- missing outlets to, to open guys. You saw him, RJ. RJ. Yes, I agree with you. But and it, it is surprising to me that, that he hasn't adjusted a little bit more. I mean, he must he must be being told by his people yeah. that he needs to. I do see him looking that for teammates more. That he needs to be focus little, on his decision making. Selfish. Yeah, yeah, because it's going to be a knock on yeah. him I've, I've heading into the draft. Yeah. I've seen I've seen him um, be deliberate in terms of like forcing the ball into Zion and penetrating with the intent to like kick out to a corner three or dump off to a big guy down low. I think um, your your like observation a, a podcast or two ago about him deciding beforehand and sticking with it uh, is is kind of kind of right. Yeah, I um, think it's maturing for him. I feel like it's trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think I think his general intent is 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 good, um, and I, I don't have any any issue with him as a player. He's gonna go down as a really great player at Duke, uh, but I, I would like to see him uh, be able to, you know, find teammates a little bit more even than he than he is. He's doing a little more than he was, but uh, yeah. I have two more questions for you on the Georgia Tech game. Okay. I know it's been a while. It's been like weeks. Okay. The Georgia Tech game was sort of, um, it sort of paralleled the B, the most recent BC game. Both Georgia Tech and BC had the halftime lead, which should not happen. Georgia Tech and Boston College should not have a halftime lead against this Duke team. At home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I, I want to say, and this is a question I have for you, why doesn't every team do, do this? In the Georgia Tech game, they played a 2-3 zone. They packed the paint. They said, you are not going to drive on us. You're going to have to beat us from the outside. Why doesn't every team do that? Uh, I think you're seeing that teams are going to be doing this. Uh, you know, it's not something every team is set up to do. A lot of college teams just play man. They don't have zone defenses well installed. So even if it's the correct strategic move, yeah, uh, they're, they're not readily equipped to do it. Um but also, there, you know, Zion is a is a zone buster, and Cam Reddish should be a zone buster. He's starting to heat up now, and play, you know, shoot a little better. Yeah. Um. You know, RJ's RJ's knocked down some threes in the last game or two as well, but overall, this team is not shooting well from three, and they're asking for that treatment. Yeah. Um, it's a big thing. It's the biggest challenge for the team to hit open threes. Uh, they, all they have to do is hit 35%. Which you know. for this team seems like a challenge. Because yeah, they're shooting 30% on this the season. This is historically bad. Not for, only is it for, historically, historically bad, bad for Duke. Historically bad for Duke. Yeah, and you were right. You pegged this early in the year. And I, I kind of thought Cam Reddish would be a stud from three all year. I think he'll shoot better. Yeah. But this team is not going to regress to like 35, 36%. Yeah. 
on the year. They would have to shoot over 40% the rest of the year. It's, I don't care what the, the overall percentage is for the year. I, you know, in the big games, are they going to knock down shots? And convert free throws when it matters at the end of the game. That's the big open yeah, question. Did, did you listen to Hubie Brown uh, on the last podcast? The, or the, the crossover game, game? ESPN crossover yeah, game? Did you, did you, were you able to listen to the audio? Yeah. Um, I loved Hubie Brown in the booth doing the game. What did he say? Well, first of all, he has these Duke roots, and he's talking yeah. about the history I, of Cameron. I had no idea he, he coached at Duke. Oh, yeah. I, I remember you know seeing, seeing pictures and hearing stories when we were in undergrads about the fact that Chuck Daly was was on the bench as an assistant coach along with Hubie Brown. I mean, for Vic Bubis? Yeah, for Vic yeah. Bubis, who was a great, great college coach. and Perennial Final Four threat. squad. Threat yeah. squad. Yeah, and uh, Hubie Brown, I, I, you know, I, I loved, I, I, I usually fast forward through free throws or beginnings, like openings into, but into gameplay. But I wanted to listen to every single word Hubie Brown had to say. If any of you have the the game on tape and or you know could find the broadcast if you're watching it out in public somewhere at a bar i would listen to the entire thing the insight the history it was really cool to cool. listen to yes. and he brought out the best in dick vitale who's usually sort of a clown show vitale's but, been on like a lot of these two games lately yeah, yeah he must be requesting it yeah hubie brown brought a lot to the booth in terms of like talking about the duke history so i loved Listening to him talk about that era of Duke basketball and pre coach K. Pre coach K, and he was talking about how great the program was and how special it was yeah. then. Yes. And it's yeah. there's a lot of history we, we we never talk about. We weren't around. I don't, for, I don't know anything about it outside of they made a decent number of Final Fours pre coach K. Yeah. And well, he mentioned that Art Heyman, who's got his numbers up there in the rafters, yeah. was the big sort of linchpin first recruit for Vic Bubis that was a difference maker in the program and he mentioned some other guys and he, he recalled some details about a few games. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I really liked listening to Hubie just he's always honest and he's always analytical about the X's and O's of the yeah. game. But he's still and sort he, of nice. He's nice but he gets into the player's head a little and he, he, he kind of does that thing where he ascribes uh, intent and like gets into the motivation of players. Yeah. So I really loved how he talked about Zion's the, the the real difference maker for Zion isn't just that he's got all these skills and he's talented, but yeah, his he, effort level. Yeah. Talked about he was just, he was saying in addition to the counting stats like points and rebounds, just look at this guy. Steals, blocks, diving on the floor, saving balls, continuing plays. This guy is like an ultimate competitor. Yeah, that drive, mm -hmm. you know, and he talked. I think he talked about it being, you know, inspiring the, the players around him as well, yeah. and it, it's just very, very. It's really cool to hear Hubie Brown talk about how special it is to get a chance to finally see this kid in person. Yeah, even though they're stuck up in the freaking rafters, it's just so bad. That yeah, I was there. just thinking, man, they they they, sh they should be where the student section is. They should be able to see it and appreciate it up close and describe it a little better than I would, seeing it. From I would up imagine there. like the sound quality would be bad on the court because the, yeah, the modern are so crazy. modern mics are pretty pretty strong. Um, speaking of Zion, in the most recent BC game, that was that was the first game where I saw a negative body language from Zion. Yeah, he got frustrated. He yeah. missed two dunks. He missed two. Like, <laughs> the first one would have been sick. It would have brought the house down. 
The second one could have been like a redemptive dunk, but he missed both of them. Yep. And he, it slipped out of his hands. He was actually joking around. He's human. Like the ref is saying, hey, Zion, you got to tuck in your shirt. He's like, sorry, ref. Like, I sweat a lot. So, like, it's I don't know how that translates to Jersey being tucked in. But, you know, like, it was right before the final TV timeout. Like, he sort of, like, pouts. He goes back to the bench and he like he sits down pouting and it was like almost like a man child. I thought it was actually sort of cute. Dude, everything the guy does is endearing to me, and I'm just, I just like I'm hook, line, and sinker for the guy. Yeah, I love the body language. I love how he like yeah. stomps around the court. Yeah, and he, there's really a, a presence I mean, there. It, He's it, not doing it for effect. He's just being it's, true it to himself. It stems from competitiveness yeah. and wanting to win. But also, he had there's a joy to his game. And there's an exuberance uh, that that just comes through. Yeah. It, it's you know. since we're on an O to Zion. Yeah, I re- like. Well, wait, before we get into the Zion, I wanted to finish up on Hubie Brown. The point I wanted to sort of make yeah. was that he, you know, he just called it out. Like Dick Vitale was doing it too. Arjun when RJ was making bad decisions. Yeah, it's like that's a bad shot. Yeah, um, and I liked I liked hearing that. I liked, yeah. You know, people should be true. I mean, people yeah. will hold back. You know, like NBA players when they're, you know, broadcasting, like they hold back because they don't want to like trash a former teammate or whatever. Yeah, sometimes you hear the players only on like TNT. They'll they'll say, "Ooh, that's a that's a tough shot. That's that's not a good. Yeah, that's a poor shot." It and it, it's very clear. RJ has a few of those every game, but you got to take that with the bad with the good. Yeah, with him clearly, um, and. Um, yeah, I, I really liked hearing his perspective on the players. Uh, back to O to Zion. Go ahead. What, what was your observation? So we were just raving about Zion. We're raving about how he likes to get all his teammates involved. I want to say before the BC game, he goes on record and, and he says, look, Cam Reddish is as good as me or RJ. And whether he believes it or not, like that's just such a great thing to say to like, if Cam's struggling a little bit with his confidence, like he's just boosting him up, like, Cam, you're sick. You're sick good. You're running a little bit bad now, but you're just as good as us. I mean, that's like ultimate teammate. I love him. I love him so much. I'm so glad he's with us and not with UNC or Kentucky or South Carolina. Oh, yeah. He's And Cam has played with more confidence. The last two games in particular, yeah. Yeah. there's been a, a swagger. He, he made a really poor play against uh, BC. And like quickly, got the steal in transition. Oh yeah, that's and, the end of the first half. Yeah, right at the end of the first half, yeah. he sort of made this out of control. Like no, no, no. But that was because the shot clock was was winding down. Actually, Alex O'Connell like burned him because O'Connell had the ball six, seven seconds left. Pass it to Cam with like four or five seconds left, and Cam just had to throw up a hail mary. Oh, okay, that's why he was disappointed. Yeah, but I, I love I love the. It seems like he's, he's shooting very confidently. Yeah. For a stretch, it was a little dicey. Um, I do feel like every cam shot, you can tell whether it's going in when it leaves his hands. It's like if it looks right, if his if, yeah, his, if it's if its feet are, you know, in proper position and he his wrist, the release is like pure. True. Yeah. I mean, there's a very good chance it's going to go in. Yeah, so he was um, he was four eleven, four for eleven against uh, BC from three, and I think more importantly, he was four of five from two, and he didn't didn't commit 
all those, you know, as many turnovers and make as many mistakes. Yeah. yeah. The the handle seemed yeah. a little tighter. Yeah. Uh, and he felt it more. Com- he looked more comfortable to me. Same same against St. John's. So he only had one and two turnovers in those games, uh, and he he was four. He hit four three pointers in that game as well. So I think that's a huge storyline because we know what Zion and RJ are bringing to the table now. Yeah. And Cam's yeah, the question mark, like Cam- you said. Yeah, and you know when we won the national championship in two thousand one, Shane Battier, we knew what we were getting, right? Jason Williams, we knew what we were getting, and Boozer, Boozer you pretty much knew. Dunleavy was a little bit of a question. Dunleavy was the Cam Reddish. Dunleavy was certainly less mistake prone than Cam, less more experienced at that point. Yeah. Uh, but his shooting was streaky. And he hit a stretch of like three threes in a row, I think, against in the Arizona down the stretch. Maryland? Arizona. Arizona. Arizona, yeah. Lauren yeah. Woods, Richard Jefferson, Gilbert Arenas. Yes. Uh, he, he, he had the, like, the defining stretch at nine, nine straight points. I mean, points. three straight threes in like a minute and a half, I mean, that's a dagger. It was I mean, it was it's going to be tough for the other team to, to overcome. Yeah. But I mean, I just, I, I love te- like Duke teammates encouraging each other. I remember Luke Kennard's breakout sophomore year. Um, he was playing great. Grayson was struggling. It was a road game at Syracuse, and Grayson sank a three. And Luke is just literally tapping Grayson's chest, saying, keep shooting, keep shooting, even though Grayson was shooting like 33 34% from three. Like, I just love that stuff because yeah. it's really the fist, the Coach K fist, like all for one, one for all. Well, it's interesting because like the most sort of – the iconic Duke leader is Christian Leitner, yeah. who led with a bit of negative energy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, I he disagree. was he was tough. On, I sort of disagree. Historically, Not notably, know, infamously tough on teammates, especially Bobby Early, right? But, but there's a story behind that. Well, I know we, we've talked about it on the pod, but go ahead, give yeah. it to us. I think yeah, I think you you got into it one okay. time. Okay, in, in the in the ESPN, I hate Christian Leitner. I don't think they fully explained it be, why Leitner hated Hurley so much. Wasn't it? I'm gonna get. Wasn't it that Coach K handed Bobby Hurley the ball? Yeah. First day of practice yeah. as a and, freshman and, and said, whole, "This is your team." Yeah. And the whole previous year, Christian Leitner was like, "Coach K is just preaching like you're gonna earn everything. Like nothing is given. You earn everything." And meanwhile, Bobby Hurley's a freshman, hasn't done anything for Duke. Coach K just says, "This is your team. This is your ball. You're gonna lead us." That's why Christian Leitner like hated, like get, not hated him, but like egged him on so much. Right. I mean, he antagonized the shit out of him, according to, to all, the, all the stories, yeah, and yeah. like tortured him. But it, it brought out the best in, in Bobby Hurley, or yeah, seemingly. so it seems. Yeah, so, so it, seems. it seems. So a lot of the more modern Duke leaders on the court have that positive energy we're talking about with Zion, that supportive energy. Shane Battier had it, right? Shane was the best of all time. Right. Uh, a lot of but a lot of the times the best cheerleader on the team isn't the best player or even one of the best couple players. And you think of like Emil Jefferson, the amount he talked, and mm-hmm. the positive energy like in the huddle right before the free throw. Like He was always psyching up the team. You think about like, I don't know, Matt Christensen, that kind of energy – Best cheerleaders on the team are yeah. often not the best players. Um, right, but it's better when the cheerleading comes from, like, a made guy, like a Luke Kennard, Zion Williams. Like, it, that means more. Yeah, that's what like I'm saying. Like a Grand Hill, Shane spe- Battier. It means more than, say, a Matt Christensen. You're just like, 
Who are you, dude? Well, it's spe- like Emil Jefferson was special. It's great when it comes from seniors who have been around or juniors or seniors. Yeah. But it's also very special when a young guy who's one of the best players on the team brings that. And um, I, it's one of the reasons this team has a chance to be special. And it, and we, we can feel a certain way about the team even though they're one and dones. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, 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 echoes, it echoes some of the best... Principles of Tra- the program. Traits and principles, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we were talking about, we've been talking about the last couple of years, like how do we get behind these guys? How do we feel about it? And when you have guys like... Zion. The, Zion. And, true to everything that's and, good and, about tra- And Trey Jones. And, and yeah. RJ to some extent, because he's just taking the bull by the horns. Yeah. And he came in to be a leader as well. You know, and... Everybody gives him respect in the team, even if he takes a bad shot once in a while. Um, Can yeah. I ask my last question about the Georgia Tech game? Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's... Because it's actually sort of relevant. So Georgia Tech implements a fierce 2-3 zone, yeah, which forces outside shooting. Do you recall in this game, um, we went sort of small, we played without a big guy, and we had... RJ and Zion down low. We had like two guys down low and then three perimeter guys against the zone, which I think is actually pretty good against the zone. Like one, I was actually thinking about this in the Syracuse game that we that we lost. Instead of like RJ bringing up the ball and initiating the offense, like why not have RJ be the pivot guy like in the high post, enter the ball to him and he can triple threat. Yeah, I think that that's... That's, I think he'd be very effective in that in that role. It was the first time we had seen it where RJ was not on the perimeter. He he and Zion were both like post players, and they would take turns like playing the high post. Yeah, I I think both of them are are, are big threats to any kind of zone defense. Cat, catching it in the high post or or even on the on the corner from like a like a side post position with the they're back kind of halfway to the basket and looking for cutters yeah. in the lane. They're, they're both pretty good at that. I think Zion's the better passer, actually. He doesn't get as many opportunities to pass. Yeah. And there's been a challenge getting the ball to him in some of these games. Um, like, BC did a terrific job of fronting him in the post. And Zion's... Zion? Yeah. Fronting Zion, okay. Yeah, fronting Zion. And the, like the you, you could see a lot of possessions... They'd swing the ball to his side. He'd get fronted, and Zion's a little hesitant. This is one of uh, you know one of the minor nitpicks I have with him is he doesn't demand the ball in the post. He doesn't fight hard enough. Maybe he's afraid to pick up fouls because he could just throw people around a little too easily. But when he does get the ball, for the good of the offense, he kind of needs to take it to the basket, right? So yeah. I don't really wanting him giving it up all the time. Yeah. Um, because he's such a high percentage. He's one of the best, you know, restricted area scorer ever. Ever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. boozers up there. Yeah. Baddies so, up there. Yeah, I, I agree with your point, though. Like, uh, Okafor's up there. To have some variance, those, those two guys can switch that role. Yeah. Uh, and Trey Jones can can uh, sort of be a little more of the primary ball handler sometimes. It's, yeah. it's often RJ. They all defer to him. Yeah. Um, he's the biggest sort of James Harden-esque offensive threat. I don't think Trey Jones is actually that good of a passer. Um, 
like yeah. for all the stuff we talked about, Trey DeVal, and we had criticisms of him last year. He's I think he's a better passer than Trey Jones. He would set people up more. Yeah, I mean, just think about all the all the alley oops yeah. that went in the Bagley yeah. and Carter. Like, and all, we were better at that shots. last year. Also perimeter shots. Like he would get yeah. the ball to Grayson. And Grayson was a pretty good passer too. There was I think there was like more kind of Sweet passing from the perimeter on last year's team. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of. I mean, and we're doing a lot more one on one now. We I feel have less assists. Trey, Trey like. Jones gets what yeah. like five and a half, six assists a game. I feel like one and a half to two of those assists are he strips the ball, gets into the open court, and selflessly gives it up to somebody else. A lot of it's in transition. Yeah, in exactly, the half, exactly. He's a very good transition player yeah. and a good transition passer, and has great floor game. On both both ends of the court, but yeah, in the half court, he's shown a bit of a limited facility to be like a like a you know a zone or a you know half court defense breaker. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember Trey uh, Duval like number numerously would do something and then get somebody an easy shot. Yeah, and hey. I'd be like, wow. I mean, against, great. against Michigan State last year early in the season yeah. and the last game against Kansas, he made a bunch of plays like that yeah. for himself and others. That You know, it would be nice if, if Trey had a little more of that skill set, but Trey's great. We love Trey. Yeah. Um, I think Trey's more of a winning player, and we actually don't need that as much. Like, like this, this sort of goes to the general theme of the season is the defensive improvement is more integral to the, the team. To everything. To everything, to everything then yeah. then like running more stuff on offense. Even though I still think we should be running like ideally we'd run more more back screens and curls for Zion and Some set plays. plays. Yeah. But we're scoring pretty well anyways, just off the cuff. Yeah. Um, I mean to go let me go back real quickly to RJ and Zion down low against a zone. We're gonna face Syracuse at Syracuse, I'm interested to know how Coach K approaches that game because initially when I was thinking about Syracuse in zone, I, I thought Cam would be the high post guy, but it makes more sense that he'd be set outside for a three-point shot. RJ is a poor three-point shooter. He plays the high post and kicks it out to better three-point shooters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, our, uh, Zion destroyed their zone. Every time he was able to cleanly catch a ball, the Syracuse yeah, he, zone. against Syracuse, he yeah. he was able to to finish, yeah. um, and he did make some, a few good passes as well. Um, so they're going to look to do that again, but Syracuse will adjust, and they're long, and you know they're they're likely to to throw some different looks, and have, so we are going to have to do other things. So, um, you know, I think we're going to be fine when we play him. I think. That we're going to be plenty motivated in that game, and we're going to hopefully be at full strength. Um, but yeah, so we get four wins, each by relatively comfortable margins, despite two sort of first half gut checks. Yeah. Um, it just felt it felt good to me. It feels like we're winning, like we're supposed to be winning. We're getting yeah, I mean, we're getting tested by pretty decent okay. ACC teams, and we're. Yes. We're checking those boxes. Yes, but yes, but um, these four squads that we just played—they're—they're they're not going to make the tournament with the except with the possible exception of St. John's. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of like a sweet spot in the schedule. 
Now we're going to start playing really good teams on the road. That's right. So we'll see exactly how good we are starting Saturday. Yeah, so what we got coming up? We got at UVA, at Louisville, um, NC State. They scored 24 points in a game last week somehow. Then they scored 96 (laughs) at UNC. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Um, NC State... uh, you know, is a, is a, is usually a tougher home game because the we team's surpri- not traveling. We surprisingly lose often there. NC State's been good against us lately, yeah. and I don't think they're as intimidated because they drive 23 minutes over to campus. Um, UNC, right after that, at Syracuse, at Virginia Tech, who held NC State to 24. Uh, Miami and Wake, little let up there in the schedule before we finish on the road at UNC. Yeah. So, yeah, we got we got nine games coming up. And we've passed a lot of tests this year. Uh, if we can go, you know, anything, I think. Eight and two. Uh, was, no, I think it was nine games. So if we go seven and two or eight and one down this stretch, uh, that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. Um, if we can go seven and two or eight and one on this stretch, it's going to be a hugely successful yeah. stretch. We, we likely win or tie for the SEC championship. Regular season? If we beat UVA, then... Bigger. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sort of a toss-up whether that happens or not. Um, we got we got a clean look at it. Uh, it's going to be tough. But even if we struggle and go 5-4, and 6-3, and three, as long as... I don't, I don't think we're going to go 5-4. and four. I, I don't think so. I, Possible. 5-4 and four or, or below would be, would be a, a real... Yeah. It would be a disappointment. 6-3, six and, six and I feel like, is the floor. I would I, if I had to pick an outcome, I would I would guess seven and two. Yeah, me too. Um, two and so I think six and three is probably the next most likely scenario, yeah. and then eight and one, and then uh, five and four. No way. Nine and zero. Nine and zero is tough too. It's a, that would be tough. Uh, I I don't think we're going to be double digit favorites in in like four of these nine games. You know, are we are we favorites in every game? Are we a dog at UVA? Absolutely. Computers think UVA is a better team. They're at home. We're going to be like a four-point dog. Three-and-a-half, four-point dog. Uh, we did beat UVA without Trey Jones. Okay. At home. Okay. Uh, but it was a tight game, and I, arguably UVA should have won the game. Um, but, yeah. I don't I, think we're going to be a four-point dog in that game. I think there's just too much public money on Duke. Let's We'll take a look. Wager? Yeah. Next next uh, Zen of Japan dinner? Yeah, we'll, we'll some late night sushi on that. Um, I sort of feel like, um, would we be a dog at UNC? Probably not. Uh, it's going to be close. Yeah. It, it just depends how each team's playing at the time. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question about, um, what do you think about Marquise Bolden? I mean, he is pretty much, he's pretty much taking the big man role. I don't know what's going on with Javin, if he's somehow in Coach K's doghouse, or if it's just simply Javin just production. hasn't been that good. Yeah. He just hasn't been that good. He doesn't add much on offense. Like, yeah. you know, but, he does, he is able to dunk when he gets a wide open dunk, yeah. but, but his it, hands are a little questionable on yeah. offense. And on defense, he, he's he been occasionally, like, pretty obviously weak. Uh, he's also been pretty decent at times. Yeah. Um, Bolton's just been the stronger presence. I mean, I gotta say, I'm surprised and pleased that he's he's really stepped up. His offensive game has gotten a little tighter, 
Uh, First of all, he made a couple post moves that were great. That like had Kobe okay. Brown getting a little uh, little boner, a little wet. <laughs> yeah. So okay, Quis. <laughs> when I look back on his numbers, they're actually not that impressive. But in the game, yeah. he seems very good because he doesn't get that many touches. And when he gets it, I feel like when they enter the ball to him in the post, I'm actually pretty happy with the outcome. But if I were the other team or the other coach, I would instruct their big man. Quis goes left. Quis goes. He always like fakes right, then goes left for the bucket. The guy's always gonna go left. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Yeah, but I'm guessing any possession where Marquis Bolden touches the ball and Zion Williamson doesn't is a loss. Is 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 just terrible for the overall efficiency of the team. Even though he's playing better, even though Quis is shooting fifty eight percent fifty eight percent from the field. It's tough yeah. to argue with Zion 68% from the field, which okay. is like destroying historical. Against BC, the first 10 minutes of the game, Zion barely touched the ball on offense. Barely touched the ball. Inexcusable. It's it's just incredible. Like he had a weight to like he was like having to get sort of trash rebounds and steals but, and but you understand it is Somewhat understandable when you have a team with Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, and you know, yeah, they're I mean, all very capable. Yeah, they're trying to get Cam off the Schneid a little, um, but yeah, it's just from the inside out essentially. Like you establish Zion, and then he can create for other people. It's just he has such gravity yeah. that just him touching the ball and threatening to do anything, even if he gets it out in the perimeter, you know, they have to all be hedging over. And you swing the ball around, and you, you often get an open three if, if that's what you, you're looking for. Um, I would like to see, you know, I still would like to see Alex O'Connell get some more minutes. I'd like to see, I'd like to see Jack White taking more threes. I, he showed us he could hit him. He's a little shook. Yeah, we. I think it's understandable. We, we could use one of those guys as a reliable sort of corner three guy yeah. down down the stretch. Right now, I have a lot more confidence in O'Connell's. Um, Stroke, but Jack White's the better defender. How about that two-handed uh, up-and-down block on uh, Kai Bowman going in for the, the, the monster jam? Uh, Who blocked it? Jack White. Jack White like uh, yeah. challenged it. It was really it was a very strong early season Jack White sort of throwback play. And it, Look, it, he's a good blocker. He's six yeah. foot seven. He's he's a good athlete. Decent vertical. I mean, he's good. What about what about Trey Trey Jones? Really shutting down um, Shamori Pons and Kai Bowman, two guys who were responsible for, for two of our losses last year. Really shut them down, especially in the first half. Uh, well, Kai Bowman had a good first half, but... but I thought but, he had a better second half. Or maybe the, tougher, the tail end of the first half. And I think he half. just went in the garbage the last like 14 minutes of the game. But he ended up 5 of 17. That's and bad. And Pons was 3 of 11. Three of eleven. In the first half, Bowman was, was playing a pretty effective floor game. Um, but can Trey keep that up against Ty Jerome? Uh, I mean, Trey, Trey, keep that up. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge against UVA is just they, they they share the ball so well. It's not like they play basketball the way it's supposed to be played. Yeah, yeah. Um, you value the ball. Don't turn it over. You take high quality shots, high percentage shots. You play great defense. That's how team basketball is supposed to be played. Yeah, they're they're a great team, seemingly every year now. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's a really great program. 
three good. three first rounders on the team, according to Jay Billis. Um, so we play them on Saturday. Yeah, actually, yeah. really looking forward to it because for all the talk about ACC depth and how good the league is, I mean, really. Duke has only really had a recent rivalry with UNC and Virginia. I mean, like, every Virginia game's good. Yeah, by the way, Syracuse is 7-3 and three in conference. So, you, they, they have played up to sort of their, their coming into the season reputation a little more during ACC play. Yeah. So, they're, you know, that, that loss isn't looking as bad as it, as it did. Um, Florida State's been the disappointment. They're 5-4 and four in conference. Including a loss at Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh, great team. <laughs> Pittsburgh's two and eight in conference, but Jeff Cable he gets a lot of credit for the way they played. But uh, Virginia Tech, Louisville, Carolina, Duke, and UVA, uh, you know, all seven and three and above, uh, with UVA, Duke, and Carolina all at eight and one. Louisville eight and two. It's pretty top heavy. Yeah, it's, it is, um, and I think it speaks to how good that. That these top teams are because uh, I think even the bottom end of the conference these, these teams are not that that bad um, yeah I mean just, stick them in some other mid-major conference they'd be quite good yeah so uh, looking forward to this stretch looking forward to getting back on and uh, talking about a big win on the road at, in Charlottesville and followed up by a tough game at Louisville you know um, I have a few more speaking points Mike Okay, I was going to get into the NBA stuff in a minute. There's it's, a lot of Duke in the NBA stuff going way. on. Yes, but, it's headed uh, that way. I've seen in a few NBA draft boards, R.J. Barrett has slipped to three. Okay. Guess who number two is? Uh, tell me, I don't know. You might not even know who he is. Oh, oh, it's uh, I know who it is. It's uh, that guard who plays for Murray State. Yes. Ja Morant. Ja Morant. Yes. Who apparently is the next... He's Russell Westbrook 2.0, apparently. He looks fantastic. I mean, just from watching his YouTube highlights and Sports Center highlights, but I haven't actually seen him play an entire game. Sort of surprising. Um, you know, he's he's doing it against lesser competition. No, they've, they've played some teams, and he's, I mean, he's just been great. Does he, looks, does he average something like 23 and 10 assists a game? Some, uh, something ridiculous? Yeah, he's, his numbers are crazy. And, you know, apparently he was on an AAU team with Zion. Um, did you know that? I did Zion, not know. Zion left that team. Uh, so it was only, it was like maybe when they were 14 or 15. It sounds like Marvin Bagley playing with DeAndre Ayton Zion when he was a freshman. Get, Zion kind of got moved, moved up or away. But, um, but yeah, Morant, uh, Morant, he wasn't heavily recruited. Yeah. There's like stories that he wasn't recruited at all, but he, he was recruited, just not super heavily. And I he mean, is, if, if you're at Murray State, you weren't that heavily recruited. Yeah, but, uh, you know, people knew about him even coming into this year, but nobody had him in the top five or ten of the draft. And he's averaging 24 a game. He's, you know, he's... How many assists? Ten? Uh, not ten. Yeah, over ten a game. That's incredible. That's twenty four and ten. Yeah, it's fantastic. His what is his uh his PER is you know thirty six point nine no thirty thirty two point six in conference and uh, thirty two point three out of conference. Yeah, his true shooting is over sixty percent. His steal percentage is high. You know he's 
he's really looks like a dynamic athlete. Um, and th- there's a shortage of guards. There's a shortage of really good guards in the NCAAs this year. And NBA teams need guards. Yeah. They need perimeter. You know, the, the, the knock on him, though, is that he's shooting 32% from three. And last year he shot 30%. So, ultimately, I don't know that he's going to... It sounds exactly like Russell Westbrook. Yeah, but... Russell Westbrook shoots those percentages in the NBA. This is in college. I'm pretty so, sure Westbrook shot that in college, but, or maybe worse. You know, if this guy can develop a three, he's gonna he's gonna be. You know, he reminds me a little bit of like a Steve Francis from what I'm looking at. Okay. Sort of how, how he plays. I mean, I've never Which seen him. Can go mind. one way or the other, but yeah, for sure, John Morant, um, RJ. You know, I think RJ is going to be in the top top five or six as a lock. And is a very likely going to be go, still go number two. I, I think he's going to be top three. Yeah, Zion's going number one in this draft. There's just no question about it, unless he gets injured. Um, okay, let's talk about Rodney Hood, Frank Jackson, Julia Okafor, Anthony Davis, Tobias Harris. Yeah, James lots, Harden. lots and lots going <laughs> I mean, what's on. What's going the NBA? on in the NBA? I mean, it, it actually disgusts me. What's going on? It disgusts you. It's disgusting. I mean, it's turned. I think un- unintentionally, disgusting. the NBA has moved towards a league where just stars move often, and okay. and like with Anthony Davis and the stuff with like who's moved in the last eighteen months. Jimmy Butler left Chicago, went to Minnesota, left Minnesota, came to Philly. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paul went to Houston. That was within eighteen months. Uh, Kyrie forces a trade out of Cleveland to Boston. Now maybe he's headed to the Knicks or the Clippers. Porzingis. Kawhi Leonard. Porzingis. Wait, is this the Kyrie Irving who, right before the season started, said, Boston fans, I love you. I'm going to sign with you at the end of the season if you'll have me. Sure, sure. Is this the guy? Gordon Hayward. Is, Is this the guy who I said, I think less of him for what he did in Cleveland? I mean, am I alone? People should think less of this guy? I don't think people should think less of any of these guys for, for doing whatever they want to do to control their own destiny. When they really burn a team or teammates, if they're negative, then I think I think it looks bad. Okay. But, but can, can my I, general can I, point... Can, can I argue that Anthony Davis is burning two teams? Well, His own team? And then the Lakers are just going to have to give their entire roster plus two number ones. So you're destroying the team you're going to. They're not going... He's not going to the Lakers. Okay. I'm the crotchety old man. Like, what happened well, to just well, playing out your contract, right? Telling people, look, I'm going to weigh my options. It's when just I a different ballgame. Like, why, why do you have to be traded one year or a year and a half before and just, like, destroy teams? I guess that's one way to look at it. But Ten years what, ago, this stuff didn't happen, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, the NBA is changing. It's completely changing. The players drive. The players have the power. And they drive where they go. But there's this other dynamic that's happening where Kevin Durant moves as well, right? Kevin Durant moves, AD wants to move. If you stay in one place, it's almost like too what's, boring. What's wrong with you? Well, what's wrong with you. It's like it's not new and exciting. You have less buzz. You're getting less hits on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Like, um, there's this like frenzy of Twitter and attention and that goes with wanting to be traded yeah. and where you might go and like groundless speculation. Yeah, irresponsible and, and, gossip. 
Well, it, it's it's this. Um, I can see why agents want more attention on their players. Like all publicity is good publicity. Okay. That kind of thing. So I I've heard from like a high ranking NBA insider that it's sort of like widely known that the Knicks have inside information. That's why they just gave up Kristaps Porzingis. There's a ton of tampering going so on. What, Tons, what obviously. That, what that means is, in the ideal scenario, the Knicks opening day 2019 is going to be Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and hopefully Zion Williamson. Yeah, but the Clippers also think they're getting one or two of those guys, maybe. Um, Lakers had LeBron a year, a, a year before he made that decision. Every, they knew. Yeah. They knew. Plans were made. LeBron bought two houses in L.A. Like, uh, Kawhi set that play up, you know, not to go to Toronto, but he made it clear where he wanted to go. Paul George, however, wanted to go to the Lakers, ended up in Oklahoma City. So Paul, Paul George is the reason why people are so aggressive in pursuing these soon-to-be free agents. You get them because, in your town. They like playing with their teammates. They build bonds. Yeah. They... They're comfortable there. They move there. Maybe they move their family, and then you know people do. Some people do want to stay. You know, some people yeah. do don't want to keep moving. I mean, that is disruptive. Um, it's just it's very interesting the way the NBA set up their rules. It was supposed to try to encourage teams to hang on to their stars. They could get pay them more. These super maxes. The super max is like has not worked the way it's intended to. Right. It turns out that. Players care more about controlling their own destiny and where they live and where they want to play and who they want to play with than they do about eking like out 240 million instead of 200 million. Right. Because yeah. the, the, the money doesn't mean as much when those numbers don't mean anything to people past a certain point. Yeah. And they care about like not getting locked into a situation they don't like. Who doesn't like freedom? You know, which hundred millionaire doesn't like freedom? Who wants to feel like they're just locked into something? Some people do, some people don't. Okay. And so these, these rules have actually, the way people are gaming the system is it's just leading to more. Uh, it's a, opposite a of yeah, the Yeah, the different incentive from the incentives. However, it's better for the NBA. People are talking about the NBA nonstop. Super Bowl week, people are talking about Anthony Davis, and it's more interesting than the Super Bowl. Now, NBA games aren't getting the ratings, right? But. I have friends who are huge, aren't big NBA fans who are talking about the NBA more than they used to. They're in the news 365 days a year. And so it's turned out to be great for the league. And so you, you cry me a river for, for the NBA and the owners or particular teams. It, it's good for everyone. Look what the Dallas Mavericks have done. Like, if you're, a, if you're a fan of a particular team, you know you can turn the whole thing around in two or three years. They thought Sam Hinkie was sort of like doing things that were bad for the NBA. That was the model. That was the absolute model. He took it further than anyone, this tanking thing, and he just showed, you can do this. I, you can just... I don't know if that's true. Yeah. You, three years, Phoenix four years has been later, doing it for like eight or nine years, and they're terrible. It doesn't always work out. There's yeah. no guarantees. I would also argue that like Orlando... But isn't and, Phoenix way more exciting than they were no, three or four years not. ago? No, they're not. Like, if you're a Phoenix Suns... every game. Yeah, but if you're and a occasionally Sun, Devin Booker scores seventy points. If you're a, a game. Suns fan, you have DeAndre Ayton, who looks like a great young center. Yeah, Mikel Bridges, who's a very good young three and D guy, and you have Devin Booker, and then you just you have draft assets coming up. You have a lot of chances to grow a young core. I mean, 
You don't I have would, to be fighting for the title. So I would also argue that places like Orlando and Milwaukee, there's it's just impossible for them to turn around in two or three years. Like it's impossible. I mean, I understand Milwaukee's not. Milwaukee not good did again. it. What are you talking about? They did what? Milwaukee lucked into Giannis. Giannis. Well, someone's gonna get lucky like yeah, that, right? but that, like, it's not. It's not like a two or three year like. Oh, we're just gonna flip it. But they that just, was they just all, got lucky. That wasn't all the they Giannis did. Pick. They hired a great coach. They found Chris Middleton. They they drafted Brogdon late in the first, early in the second. Great pick. They they built their team in a really good way from a small market. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if Giannis eventually wants to leave. But I, I tend to think the foreigners. They come to the U.S. and build a home somewhere are more likely to want to stay. Like a Mark Gasol. Like a Joel Allen Bead. Like... Dirk. Dirk, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously Kristaps uh, wasn't wasn't happy in New York. You know, for good reason, though. All right, let's bring this back to Duke. Okay. Can we talk about Julie Locafor? Let's start with Elton Brand, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. I'm actually really excited to know what you think about the Tobias trade. I'm a big 76ers fan. I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, I've watched pretty much every 76ers game you, since you, the process began. Okay, can we be honest? You like the Sixers more than Duke? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Just, no, just, I mean, it's, it's, it's just that Duke's always good. So it's, it's sort of more exciting to watch the Sixers turn from really bad to really good. I mean, we haven't had a realistic chance of winning a title since, like, the early 80s. Okay, be honest with me. Sixers have a game. Duke has a game on the same night. Which game do you watch first? I watch the game that's less likely to spoil the other. So, great great example. Last, last was it last night or two nights ago? It was last night. Um, no, it was two nights ago, right? How could um, one not... Yeah, last oh, night, so you watched, last night you Duke, watched the first game. Duke BC started at... Yeah. So you watch the four first o'clock game. or four four thirty and Pacific time, and the, the Sixers game started at five p.m. Yeah. East, uh, Pacific time. So I watch the the Duke game first, right? But ESPN runs a scroll with the NBA scores. Yeah. So I watch the game until the point where the the Sixers game was like midway through the first quarter. I then switched over to the Sixers game because um, TNT doesn't run a scroll with the college basketball scores. You asked the question. Wow. You <laughs> so were, so you I watched are... the Sixers game, right? But I actually fast-forwarded through some of that Raptors game. It was so painful to watch. They were just getting completely outplayed and dismantled, right? Thank God they made that trade right after the game. So I switched back to the Duke game, and I gave up caring about the Sixers game. And I knew the Duke game would only go till halftime or, like, midway through the third quarter. So I have a system, suffice it to say. Both games are super important to me. I watch every game. Yeah. So. Yeah. You've, you've dodged answering the question. I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is. Well, a, a 76ers championship this year... Will mean more. Would mean more because there have been... I, I, I don't remember the 82-83 championship. The faux like, faux faux? I, I sort of remember fo, fo, Moses. Hmm? The faux fo, faux faux. What's faux fo, faux faux? Moses Malone said... I mean, didn't they sweep like every game? They were fo, fantastic. Fo, fo. I think they only lost one game in the playoffs. Moses Malone... Dr. J, Mo Cheeks, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones. I mean, what okay. what a team. We're off. Let's bring it back to Duke. And <laughs> but Elton you asked, Brand, but yeah, Brand. it would be very exciting to see. I've been watching every Sixers game for five years, essentially. 
it's been very gratifying watching these guys develop the and the process the works and it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And now, Plus JJ now there. So JJ's there now, which is great. And when he's out of the game, they, their offense hasn't been as good. Right. But now they Elton is basically uh, he's a first year GM. Two years ago, he was on the team. Is that <laughs> you true? Know? Yeah, he was on the team. Literally for, two years ago. To the beginning of training camp, two years ago, okay. he was on the squad. Okay. <laughs> suiting up in yeah. preseason games, right? And he didn't stick. Uh, now he's pushing all his chips into the middle on this season. Right. So there, there's agency attributed to Elton Brand, and he's the guy that buck stops there. He is the GM. Yeah. But it's a sort of by-committee situation. He's got Mark Eversley. Uh, he was a very veteran kind of NBA guy in the front office with him. Brett Brown has some decision-making power, and uh, obviously ownership does as well. But um, Elton's a great sort of figurehead and uh, developing leader of, of the franchise. And, right. and and no doubt he's got the relationships with the agents and around the league, and it's helpful. And it's just really, really cool to see Elton getting credit for, deservedly, just having the biggest set of balls for a first-year GM that like anyone's ever seen. He pulls off the Jimmy Butler trade, and then he, he pulls off this Tobias Harris game, but he gets Boban, too. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, basically he made a six-player deal. With the, the 76ers gave up four draft picks to the Clippers and like snatched Tobias Harris away in a deal that made sense for both teams. Um, the assets the Sixers gave up, Landry Shamet's a really good... Rookie shooter. They gave up one key thing. Uh, they gave up the unprotected, unprotected Miami. Miami 2021 first rounder. Yeah, it's a pick they acquired like six months ago in the draft Mikhail just Bridges. for dropping from 10 to 16. Yeah. And it was their, their one and two players on the board. But that's a coveted pick because Miami should be bad. It's somewhat a coveted pick, but there's no reason to think Miami will necessarily be that bad. Um, you know, one decent free agent goes to Miami and that picks in like 15th. And that's not that valuable, okay. actually. Okay. The Sixers traded one of their own first-rounders, but it's likely to be in the mid-20s. And then two second-rounders, but the Sixers happen to have 11 second-round picks in the next four drafts without those two. So the deal the deal is a big balls deal, and it's just very, very cool to see a guy that I went to school with doing we this. went to school with. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's really cool. Elton's one of my favorite players ever. And so very quickly, he's now you, one of my favorite. How do you handicap the guys. Sixers' chances of getting to the finals and winning the finals? I don't know. It's really hard for a team to come together very quickly. Right. Like all these parts, they're probably going to go on the buyout market now and like get Wes Matthews or uh, or maybe Wayne Ellington to get another shooter on board. Maybe Carmelo Anthony. No chance, Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> for God's sake! Um, but uh, the Sixers are right there. They have a look. They have a real look. Their starting lineup is like sort of. Dominant looking now. Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Jimmy Butler. And they should be able to fill out their bench a little, but they only have 40 games to get it together for the playoffs. The most important thing Ellen Brand did was hold on to Markel Fultz because he might turn into something. I think they're about to dump Fultz. He tried to, I'm before, sure he tried to package him in the trade. Well, the, the deadline's at 3 p.m. tomorrow. I'm pretty sure they're going to dump Fultz by then, and they're not going to get much for him. Yep. If they can get any kind of rotational player, I think they're going to take it. Just because he's $10 million on the books and paying off four of those guys yep. as they 
express they want to would, would really put them into the luxury tax. So, anyhow, off the Sixers, back to Duke. So, Elton and JJ are in this situation where the Sixers are, and then, you know, contending for the East. On the Boston, you have Kyrie and Jason Tatum contending for the same sort of finals Chemi spot. Ojale. Yeah, forget Chemi Ojale. Um Bucks don't have any Duke presence, I don't believe. Uh, and Toronto doesn't no. either. So, no. so we can root for either the Sixers or Celtics. I'll root for the Sixers. You can root for the Celtics. I root for both. Um, and in the West, uh, well, I guess there was a lot of player movement. So Jabari Parker got traded today. I saw that. Uh, he got moved with Bobby Portis. Uh, for Otto Porter, and the Bulls wanted to lock up a, a good young player. Really? And they have him for the next two years and a shot to sign him long term. Yeah. Uh, Jabari was gonna not going to get the team option this year. He got one year, $20 million, yeah. and we don't know what's going to happen to him. Um, but I think the Wizards are potentially interested in retaining him if it works out. He needs to find a home in the NBA. He's too talented, and he's, he's to not find He's a this home generation's somewhere. Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, but Carmelo not was as good. No, Carmelo no, was really good, good, really good for a stretch, and eventually became a little. It's just this worse version of himself, and like the game sort of the went game, away yeah, exactly. from his style of play. Park, Parker needs to needs to adjust as well. I think they're still coming back from these injuries, and potentially he can get some of his lateral quickness back. Yeah, if he does the right things. With rehab wise, yeah, just training, yeah. you know. But uh, it is a little unfortunate that he's ends up being a more limited version of himself than he could have been at a very young age, and he he's still twenty two or twenty three. It's so, amazing how young these guys are. Yeah, like well, Kyrie's twenty seven, twenty six. Tobias Harris has been in the league like for two decades, and he's only twenty six. Eight years. Yeah, it's a, it's crazy. Um, Jaleel Okafor. Is he going to be a 2010 guy or what? <laughs> uh, he's obviously capable of doing that in any given stretch, a few games here and there. But the big issue with Okafor isn't the numbers he puts up. And he's, it's Okafor, the real plus minus? Okafor's had a really nice stretch of basketball in Anthony Davis's absence. Yeah. And it's it's heartwarming. It's great. He's going to stay in the league. I think, I think he's got like an Enos Cantor-like potential to be a good one-way player but defensively he's still a monstrosity and the 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 the, the pelicans have been horrendous yeah like from whether they score they're being grossly outscored by their opponent while he's on the court which is the problem that happened in philly they were always better with okafor off the court even when he was putting up good numbers yeah and he wasn't it's sort of hard to ignore um but i also don't fully get it you know, it Why feels, he's so bad? Yeah, because he's been so good the last week or two that I don't know that you can really believe those stats because that plus-minus thing yeah. kind of can lie a little bit. It I could mean, be just have, the you starting have to, unit. You have to contextualize everything. Yeah. I did see the Pelicans lost 107-105 in a game. At the end of the game, they had Okafor switched on to the guy with the ball, and then he drains the shot because it's oh. Jaleel. But he defended as best he could and handed the face. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a step too, too slow, and his reactions are slow yeah. on defense, and that that's always going to be an issue. He's never going to be a dominant player in the league because of that. You have to be able to play defense as a big man, as a as a five in the league. You have to be able to protect the rim. I think he's better than he was, though. 
and he's getting better. Hopefully, he can keep improving. Yeah. Um, and I think it's great. I hope they, they trade Anthony Davis and Okafor gets a bunch of minutes. And Frank Jackson started Starting a game no, alongside Okafor. Multiple games. Yeah. Because there are so many guys injured. Yeah. It's, it's cool to see, too. Frank Jackson looks pretty decent. Not amazing, but he's super young. He's 20. Still 21. Bagley starting. Not oh. consistently, but I saw a few games. Oh, I went, went, I went, went. To, I went to Sacramento uh, to visit a friend and went to the Kings 76ers game. And Bagley probably had his best game as a pro. Was that the dunk? The reverse 360 dunk midair? No, but he made a bunch of winning basketball plays. His numbers weren't as good as a couple of other games. So you but, were impressed. But the Kings beat the Sixers. Bagley was in there down the stretch. He made a bunch of really strong post moves. He was a factor on the offensive boards. He didn't didn't sort of get embarrassed on defense against a very good Sixers offensive team. Yeah, and um, it was interesting. Uh, Embiid did not guard Bagley. They had they had Simmons on him. Uh, they even had uh, Jimmy Butler switched on him a few times, but Bagley really was a problem. Yeah. It was a problem, and it was impressive. And I was sitting next to this diehard Kings fan who was screaming in my ear the whole game. And we, we got to talking. and He liked Bagley. He loves Bagley. <laughs> um, and as I was watching him, I, I sort of had an interesting comp that, that occurred to me. It's not exactly dead on, but I didn't think of it last year. And it's like uh, young Rashid Wallace in terms of his ability to extend the way he does these sort of turnaround uh, post moves, he's turn around jumpers close into the basket, yeah. and his sort of feathery touch around the basket. Um, I, I still he, like Antoine Jameson as a he gets up. Comp. He gets up more than than Rashid and Antoine even. Bagley is at that second hop ability a little more. Jameson had the second jump. Yeah, he did. Just a lot of garbage cleanup. Yeah. What What about um, Harry Giles? I saw has been getting more minutes, and he had like he's one breakout game. Harry Giles looked uh, sort of decent. They really love Giles in Sacramento. They love both of them. I mean, I don't think they're re-signing Cauley Stein. Yeah. Did you see the Kings traded? They made a big trade today as well. Justin Jackson for... Oh, they, they're getting uh, Harrison Barnes. They got they picked up Harrison Barnes yeah. from the Mavericks, who wanted the clear cap space to yeah. go after a free agent this summer and his pair with Chris Stapps and Luca. Uh, and they've obviously been a little disappointed or underwhelmed with... Harrison Barnes, his contract's a little too big. He's getting paid $25 million he's getting for the next paid two years. He's getting paid too big, but I think he's pretty good. He's but, pretty good. He's shooting he's, 39% yeah. from three this year. He's, he's just never going to be like the best or second best guy on a title team. I don't think he's going to be the third best guy. I think he has to be like the fourth. Um, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's he's okay. Defensively, he's not great. Okay. Um, but he's a little overpaid, so basically Dallas dumped him. Yeah. And uh, the, but the Kings are gonna have the Kings have had a really hard time attracting free agents. So as we watch Bagley develop and Giles, hopefully alongside him, uh, with the young core with Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox, they're an exciting team. Exciting, yes. Cauley Stein's probably going. Bagley's gonna be in that starting lineup. And don't like, they have a, a good there. like white European shooting guard? They have two good uh, shooters, but. Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich, yeah, and they have Vigelica. I'm, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but Vigelica. He's uh, he's shooting a very high percentage, and they sort of sub them in and out. They usually have one of them in the game, so they have a lot of shooting around a very dynamic De'Aaron Fox, who's going to be one of the best point guards in the NBA for years. De'Aaron and, Fox, yeah, 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 he's really good, uh, good on defense too. Uh, Heald is looking like a prolific shooter, just like in college. He got there, 
in his th- third year. The in guy the is shooting like 42, 43% from three career. Yeah. Scored like 35 against the Sixers in the game I saw. And um, what, so now getting Harrison Barnes on that team, I think, really makes sense because they're going to have a hard time getting free agents to sign there. How, how many more years does Barnes have? Uh, this year and next year. But I think they may try to oh, so lock just, him up to a longer deal. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Barnes probably isn't feeling the love in the NBA, so I think he might be a little more apt to to commit to Sacramento and be there. And he'd be a really good stabilizing piece around their young core. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it, it's I think it's good for Bagley. And it, it's cool to see. Um, yeah, Harrison Barnes has been jettisoned twice. Yeah. One... Once by the best team of all time. <laughs> right. Well, in favor of Kevin Durant. So, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> all your teammates were plotting against you the whole season, as we uh, found out. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's not. You know, obviously, he's not a cancer. I don't think, but he's yeah. he's not. He's not like uh, the best teammate. I guess he's not like you know people. Okay. They, they would they would they would find a way to keep but, him around. But final NBA point. Um, yeah, Portland Trailblazers now have three Dukies. Uh, remind me, remind Gary Trent, Seth Curry, who actually has a better three-point shooting percentage than his brother, and will play <laughs> play against him in the NBA three-point shooting contest. Seth Curry in the three-point contest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they traded for Rodney Hood. Right, they traded for Rodney Hood. Um, yeah, they got him for for nothing essentially. Uh, Portland needed a little more depth, uh, another scoring wing. Uh, Gary Trent's been lighting up the G League. Yeah. So, good for him. <laughs> you know, good for him. It's good to see. Gary Trent, I mean, you know, he wasn't ready to, like, dominate college basketball, but he was solid, and he's he's probably going to have a decent NBA career at some point. I don't know how good he's going to be. He's going to at least be a rotation player, I think. Um, but those guys are not the show in Portland. You want to watch a Portland game, you're going to see a lot of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Nurkic, Nurkic and yeah. uh, you're not going to see like a ton of usage out of those guys. No, 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 no. But when but when one of those guys sits, when one of the guards sit, Seth Curry comes in and Seth does, Curry gets does run. quite well. Yeah, yeah. No, you're going to get to see, see it, but, yeah. but um, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if those three guys really stay together. They're all actually sort of play similarly uh, in terms of what they provide to the team. But yeah, it's cool that three Dukies are on the same team. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Hood's a little bit taller and longer and is a little bit different than the other two. Austin Rivers, you know, has been doing decently well in Houston. He was starting for a stretch and actually playing pretty well numbers-wise. And I was uh, shocked by that. I thought, not bec- not because he got signed, but I thought he and Chris Paul had their battles in as clippers we don't we just we don't know what really goes on but but yeah i mean speaking of guys that get moved around a lot um austin rivers has you know he shot he shot well uh well i guess he's only shooting 32 percent in houston he was shooting better i think he's cooled down uh in the last week week and a half but um the rockets have been winning in this stretch, largely due to this guy, uh, maybe you've heard of him, James Harden. What do you think about what he's doing? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, like huge thumbs up for James Harden. I don't, I don't love watching it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't love, I don't love it. Um, 
I generally am a little cranky about the ISO the hero ball. Yeah, no, just the volume is like just three point fests essentially, and how difficult it is to to put a hand on a shooter. James Harden gets such a generous whistle from refs, as does Steph Curry. Um, they, I guess they deserve it. It's part of the NBA legacy. There's like one guy on every team gets that, you know. On the Sixers, it's Embiid. He gets such a generous whistle all the time. But Harden, like, not only takes three or four steps every time he does a step back, and he does slow it down, hit pause, and advance the frame, and you'll see he takes steps every single time, and they let him do it. Um, but he also, anytime anyone breathes on him, they get, they get a call, like a you know, a three a three shot foul. So I I don't know. Um, I do think like you I think the top four teams in the East are now four of the best six or seven teams in the league, which is a which is like an axis change uh, of how like the polarity of the league, you know where the the strength is, and we could see LeBron and LA kind of float up to the top if if they are able to get Anthony Davis before the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's really going to be interesting to see uh, to see whether uh, yeah see whether the East can can hang with the West uh, in the finals this year. Whoever comes out of the East is going to have to be playing very good basketball. I feel like it's going to be tough. Yeah. Very very tough. All right, that's probably enough Duke in the NBA and 76ers talk. But uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting. This is the point though. You, like you're saying, it's you think it's, it's sort of terrible. Your reaction is visceral about all the player movement and the, the shenanigans and the like the the tampering and the agents like putting out these messages about who the guy will and will will and won't you know play for. But it all makes me want to take a shower. <laughs> ultimately, Rich Paul represents LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's just juicy. Ultimately, it's Anthony juicy. Davis is asking. The Lakers to give up Kuzma, Hart, Ingram, Ball, uh, Zubac, two number ones. I mean, you're gutting the team. I understand, like, the generally in NBA teams and in, in NBA Peter, trades, Peter, the best, all those guys, the, the are, best guy wins all, the trade. But that seems pretty excessive. All those guys are absolute trash. They're just trash compared to Anthony Davis, who said one of the maybe there's a chance to be one of the best 15 20 NBA players of all time plus right? plus whatever replace replacements Who, you can get whoever you put around LeBron and Anthony Davis yeah whoever you put around it doesn't even matter they could pick up Corey Brewer and like they got they still have Rondo and like it doesn't even matter Carmelo who you Anthony. have around it yeah Melo would, would really uh, hurt the, their team they whoever signs Melo is just asking for it but Maybe Gerald Henderson. Gerald. Gerald's in the the broadcast booth. He's still thirty thirty one. <laughs> Gerald is. Uh, Gerald was starting for the Seventy Sixers two years ago. Yeah. You know, shows you how far they've come. Um, but yeah, Brandon Ingram. If the Lakers do are able to pull off a deal, he's going to be in the deal. Yeah. Um, it seems like everyone's going to be in the deal. Every, yeah, all the good young players uh, on on the Lakers, and it's a matter of debate how good some of them are. Yeah. But LeBron doesn't want to wait for these guys to develop. LeBron is there to win, try to win a championship and make deep runs in the playoffs. And, like, you know, he's not going to play with a bunch of, like, blue players. I guess know? my question is, if you're uh, LeBron, why can't you wait, play this season, 
then get uh, Kawhi Leonard in the offseason, and then the year after that get AD. I mean, I understand LeBron's going to drop pretty, pretty, his production is going to drop with each passing year, but. The Lakers have only signed one big free agent in the last ten, you know, seven, six, seven years. That's LeBron. Who's to say Kawhi wants to play with LeBron? I think he expressed interest in the Clippers. I mean, I don't think Kevin Durant wants to play with LeBron. I don't think Klay Thompson wants to play with LeBron. You know, who wants to turn into Kevin Love? You know, who wants to just stand in the corner and wait for the ball and just shoot, right? And just play defense and outlet the ball to LeBron and just watch. That that That's a big issue for the Lakers. And um, it's sort of like speaks to you know obviously uh, in Miami these other guys wanted to play with LeBron but those marriages broke up as well like LeBron ends up being a solo act you know and and a magnificent solo act right but part of the legacy you know when you're thinking about LeBron is that uh, it's not that much fun to play with him Kyrie wanted out Kevin Love obviously struggles with with his relationship there and his role you know well to tie it all back to Duke I hope <coughs> Bronny Jr. Is, a, is playing for your Coach K in four or five years yeah then we'll see LeBron in the stands that would be very very LeBron's interesting LeBron's the greatest that would be very very interesting uh, not bad for the program maybe playing for Jeff Capel <coughs> All right. Um, oh, also, also in the most recent um, game, they they yeah. said Coach K's grandson is going to be a preferred walk on for the team next year. <laughs> Something Savarino, Michael Savarino. I mean, that's yeah. I don't know. That's strong. That is strong. Uh, I feel like it's sort of happened before. Hasn't that happened before? Then they have another Duke. I mean, I don't like Jim Beheim. His his son is playing for him. I'm sure it happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have no issue with it. No, I mean, I don't have yeah. an issue with it. I just thought it was interesting. And yeah. Hubie Brown or somebody was saying, yes, he'll be very preferred on this squad. Isn't it kind of amazing that David Robinson goes to as many Duke games as he goes to when his son doesn't play? Uh, it's not that amazing. I mean, does this guy just have nothing to do? I feel like David Robinson Does he not have has other nothing children? to do outside not... of like maybe like his uh, charitable organizations back in Did he San move Antonio. there? Maybe he's I'm sure second, he has a must... place there for the yeah. basketball season. Um, I mean, uh, Jay Billis, when he's not announcing games, he goes to Wake Forest to watch his kid just ride the bench because, you know, you're invested. I don't know. Um, I, I just, I just, I, I sort of can't imagine that. Uh, if if your kid's not playing, what I, I don't get it. I don't get it. It just seems weird. Like you're getting more attention than your kid. It's, you're just sitting in the stands. You know, if I'm Justin Robinson, I'm like, Dad, stay the heck away. Let Jay, me live my life. Jay like Rob still plays every now and then. I mean, he's, he's my, our best three point shooter. <laughs> he might be. If my dad came down to Duke when I was there every every weekend, I would have been miserable. I mean, who wants that? I mean, it's one thing if you're Grand Hill and you're just like dominating and et cetera, but uh, but yeah, if you're if you're right, fair question, fair question. It's just something I thought about. 
Okay, we should wrap it up. Um, we're not going to wait another four games into our next podcast, right? I mean, probably. <laughs> we'll probably come back on after uh, after Louisville because uh, I'm out, out of town this weekend visiting my uh, my daughter on the East Coast. Uh, I'm not back till like late Sunday, so we're playing. I'm out of town till Tuesday night. Okay, so uh, after that, we'll uh, we'll come back on and release the next pod and uh, have a lot of juicy stuff to talk about. Hopefully, it should be two really good games, two very very tough road games. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, the the Louisville game is on Tuesday night, so perfect. I mean, we could do it Tuesday, late Tuesday or Wednesday during the day. Probably Wednesday. Okay, all right, and then um, maybe we'll watch uh, watch one of these games together one day. I'm thinking UNC. I think we could do the UNC game. That'd be the one. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. As yeah. always, go Duke. Go Duke. National championship. Here we come.